Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. So this is it, John. This is it. Number 300. 300th episode. That's right. That's yeah. almost six years. That That's a long time we've been doing these podcasts. Now, we were on the radio before that, that's and we right. started that in January of 2011. January 8th, 2011. Remember we did a, a financial fact was about Elvis? That's right. His it was, birthday? It was Elvis's birthday, right? Yeah. 2011. So that's been almost eight years. But yeah, we've yeah. been doing the podcast now for almost six years. Yeah. And so we're on our 300th episode today. That's right. Um, that's pretty momentous, you it know? Is. I mean, that's like, you know, I mean, if we were bowling 300, that'd be perfect score. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or I'm trying to get some kind of football reference, but I can't do that with 300. I don't know what that yeah, looks like. Yeah, well, so, 300 uh, yards passing or something yeah. would be, be a good game. Yeah, that's, it would be. It would be. So, you um, know, uh, so yeah, anyway, it's pretty momentous. I mean, we've, we've covered a lot of topics a lot of over topics. 300 We episodes. have two more to cover today. We do. We we pretty much wear out the topics here because we, we're covering a lot of these a lot of times. And, you know, but it's all very relevant information. And, um you know, speaking of relevant, you know, we, we try to keep it fresh here. I mean, we got some some great topics to talk about here. Yeah. HSAs are one of them. Well, for, for those folks that listen to us frequently, they know that uh, we like HSAs, right? We Healthcare do. saving accounts. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to kind of talk about using those, uh, a strategy using those for long-term care. So, uh, you know, it can be a great account. It's one of the most unique accounts out there. We'll, we'll dive into some details, but that's going to be one of the uh, the first things we hit. Yeah, and that's a good one. And we're we're going to talk about another important topic, though, and that is Medicare. And there are some changes coming about this year. Um, they're not major changes, but they're small, important changes to Medicare that you should know about. Um, and we're just going to kind of talk about the plan in general, Medicare, because it is the most important, you know, health-related thing mm -hmm. whenever you're facing retirement. Sure. Um, got to have that figured so out. So you got to have it figured out. You got to understand what it's about. So we're going to dive into that here Shortly, but before we do that, um, I'm Steve Marvin. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 24 years' experience of providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 27 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our 300th weekly podcast show. Yeah, that's amazing. You know what? We actually have them all logged. You can go to our website, moneymd.net. I think they can access all 300. I uh, think so. If not, a whole bunch of them are out there, and we have a whole bunch of other tools, videos on the website. Go check it out. We have a Facebook page as well that we post a, a weekly uh, prescription of the week. Um, so it's kind of fun we we have with that. So uh, yeah, we a, lot, do. a lot of ways to connect with us. Absolutely. And we'd love to hear from you. You can email us. You can email us directly at info at moneymd. Net, or you can link to us right off of the website. Um, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this isn't a real positive financial fact, but it is a fact. Uh, Americans owe $1.2 trillion in auto loans, Steve, Ouch. as of March of this year. I thought you were going to say, like, you know, uh, student loans. Student debt. loans is 1.6 now. So wow, okay. a lot of debt out there. The average loan for a vehicle is $32,000. The average payment is about $554, and oh, by the way, when you buy a new car, it depreciates about 20% in the first year, and after five years, yep. it's going to be down about 60%. So that $40,000 truck is going to be worth about $16,000 in five years. 
So why not just buy it when it's worth sixteen thousand? Ah, goodness, I know. I mean, it's it's uh, <clears throat> if you're you know as Dave Ramsey says, if you like, uh, it would be more fun to get hundred dollar bills and throw it out the window, right, and see yeah. what happens versus yeah. the depreciation on new vehicles. And that, that's a lot. It's it's not just a, the cost of the forty thousand. It's if you took that five fifty four and you put it in to something that's going to appreciate versus depreciate, right. you know, it's a, the gap gets, you know, to hundreds of thousands of dollars over decades. And don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with owning a new car. If you can afford it and that's where you want to put your money and you enjoy that, but just go in with your eyes open, recognize you're paying that kind of depreciation. If you own a, a $50,000 vehicle, you know, there's going to be eight, ten thousand dollars of depreciation in the very first year that you own it. That's I'll tell how much you, it really costs. I, I'm in the market for a, um, a pickup truck. Um, we have some old ones that we're getting rid of, and I've just been, you know, shopping a little bit, and I've seen um, some some pickup trucks that 2016, 2017 that are listed for like sixty thousand dollars. Ouch! And I can't imagine what they cost initially. I mean, it must have been an eighty thousand dollar truck. I don't know. Ouch. But and I'm still driving my <clears throat> two thousand four Chevy Silverado. Yeah, uh, fifteen years old and uh, doesn't have many miles on it actually. But uh, you know, it's still going strong. And I mean, it's it's worth almost nothing now. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, but uh, might yeah, as well keep it. Might as well keep it. Yeah, it's costing me nothing. That's the point. It's costing me nothing. That's right. Own it very little anyway. So, uh, yeah, depreciation's a big deal. You know, I remember my dad used to always buy brand new cars, but he'd pay cash for everything. There was no, there were no loans on the vehicles, and that makes a big difference. But nowadays, I mean, $1.2 trillion on loans, average $32,000. There's a lot of interest being paid on those too, John. No, so, no doubt. So, interesting <clears throat> fact of the week. And that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is health savings accounts. Can that be the answer to long-term care? It can be. I mean, if you, um, you know, if you have enough of a, 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 you know, runway to hit it, it certainly can be. But, you know, if you look at, a, you know, a lot of retirement planning that goes on to dot the I's and cross the T's and, you know, looking at asset allocations and, you know, trying to figure out Social Security and so forth and withdrawal rates, those are all obviously very important. Um, but, uh, you know, there's another variable which people are not spending a lot of time on, and that's long-term care. And, um, it's, it's no wonder that so many people are in denial because it's very, very expensive. Um, it's also not certain that you'll need it. About 52% of people turning the age of 65 are expected to have a long-term care need during their lifetimes and another, you know, the other half won't. So it's kind of, it's insurance. I mean, that's why you have right. insurance, you know, there's right. a chance that you'll get it and, uh, you know, need it or and there's a chance that you won't. So, uh, you know, the prospect of needing long-term care obviously is not a real pleasant you know, topic or conversation, but it's very expensive. It can be upwards in this area. You know, I see um, uh, assisted living in the fifty thousand range as, right. you, as you go into uh, well, independent living is fifty. Assisted living is going into the sixties, and then you start getting into memory care units are going to be seventy to eighty thousand. So it's expensive. Yeah, it's very expensive. And I would just put some context to those numbers. You know, although fifty six, fifty two percent of sixty five year olds are expected to have a long-term care need during their lifetimes, um, most of those needs are very short in duration, okay? They don't go for three or four years and run into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, so, you know, I think you have to kind of put this in context mm -hmm. to say that, you know, it's probably only 10% of people that have a long, extended, really extended stay in a nursing home, so it's not something you have to panic and, I think, you know, mortgage the mortgage your future over, trying to fund. But at the same time, you need to recognize it can be a very large expense. 
And uh, so you need to you need to at least look at it and and be prepared, have a plan in some way, shape, or form. And that's where this the the idea of using a uh, uh, health savings account comes into play. Yes. And, and I have to say, I've actually done that. That's kind of been my thought, mm-hmm. you know, from day one. I've been fully funding a, a, a health savings account. Me and Kathy have, and um, you know, we haven't touched it. We've been just kind of letting it accumulate because it's growing tax free. Yeah, you know, and it's really hard to take that money out that tax-free growth out mm-hmm. and, and go spend it on a current need today. If I have money somewhere else, I can come up with and do that. So I, I think it's a good plan. I think that money is going to be very valuable for long-term care. And, uh, you know, long-term care insurance should, in theory, you know, nearly protect, neatly protect against that risk. But the horror stories you hear abound. Um, you know, premiums have skyrocketed on long-term care insurance on many policies over the past decades. And many people have wanted the insurance but have been denied due to health considerations. Um, and there's a lot of hybrid kind of long-term care insurance out there today with annuities and life insurance um, that are kind of coming as an alternative to pure long-term care insurance. But they're not without drawbacks. I mean, they're unfortunately, they're not. They're, those are not perfect substitutes. Yeah, and so it's no wonder that people are, in some cases, um, just hoping for the best and hoping they're, they'll be in the 50% that don't need it. Um, but, you know, there's some planning that can go along with this and uh, self-funding, um, you know, your expenses by using your investments. Some people have, you know, pensions. Um, you know, some people sell pri- primary residence. And that's kind of where this healthcare savings account comes into. It can be a piece of the puzzle and a piece of the answer. And, you know, these accounts, which we talked about, have great tax benefits. Um, They can also be used to pay long-term care premiums, uh, assuming that the policy uh, qualifies. So so what's so great about these HSAs? And before we delve into the, you know, the viability of the HSAs for long-term care, let's look at some of the, um, the, 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 the benefits, the tax benefits, and go through some of those real quickly of why they're so popular and why they are really the best account out there. Yeah, they really are. Um, yeah, health savings accounts, are they're designed to help people pay for health care expenses that aren't covered by their insurance. It's kind of what they were what they were made for. Um, but not just anyone can contribute to an HSA. You have to be covered by a high-deductible health insurance plan. Um, and so, you know, in 2019, uh, you know, those limits are a little bit higher now. You you have to have you can contribute up to well first let's talk about the contribution you contribute up to uh thirty five hundred dollars for an individual yep. or seven thousand dollars for a family um and those in, those limits do go up every year um but you have to have a high deductible plan in order to qualify for that yeah that's the key and uh of course you know a lot of us would not you know don't want to be saddled with a bunch of uh out of pocket health care costs so the trade-off is really, you know, having high premiums or having a high deductible health care plan. And, uh, you know, those premiums on the plans are usually significantly lower um, than is the case of typical, you know, conventional insurance like PPOs. And that saving should, at least in theory, enable the uh, insured party to set some of that money into an HSA. Um, additionally, we see some employers actually make HSA contributions on behalf of their employees. And that's a, that's a nice benefit if your company has that. Yeah. But the really big advantage of using an HSA is that the, the tax benefits associated uh, with this are really unparalleled in the, the tax code. I mean, specifically, you can contribute pre-tax dollars to the HSA, and then the money grows tax-free 
as long as the assets stay inside the account. And then the withdrawals are tax-free if you use them for health care. So you have a right. triple benefit Yeah, there. it's tax-free going in. It's tax-free coming out. Um, there's no other you know, vehicle on the planet that really that, that offers right. that. That's right. So, um, you know, the, the, um, you know, once you reach age 65, you can still tap your HSA, um, you know, tax free, obviously for healthcare outlays, but you can also withdraw it just like an IRA, right? You're going to, you're going to have some, uh, some taxes associated with it. Um, if you have non-healthcare withdrawals after the age of 65, but in that case, HSA is receiving really the same benefit as the IRA or the 401k. So, uh, HSAs are still fairly new. They're, you know, last five to 10 years, they've gotten more popular. Um, but most people still use them as they were originally designed. And that's to defray out-of-pocket healthcare costs on an ongoing basis. But the HSA's tax benefits are really magnified for people who invest the money in the, in the long-term assets and hold them for many years. So, you know, a, a buy and hold HSA investor, uh, would beat an investor in a taxable account, very easily. And that's because there's no taxes on as you go through it with dividends and interest. And then when you use it at the end, there's there's no taxes at all. So we're going to go through two instances on how it can be used for a long-term care. Yeah. And so the first instance, instance of that, John, <clears throat> is you can use the HSA money that's in the plan to pay the long-term care insurance premiums. Um, so for HSA uh, account holders who would like to purchase long-term care insurance, you can use that money to pay the premiums and you can take it out tax free to do that. Um, that can make purchasing long-term care insurance more psychologically palatable um, than using the non HSA assets, which are, you know, after tax money to pay for those HSA or those long-term care premiums. And it's especially if your HSA dollars are taken out of your paycheck each month and you never see the money. Um, but there are a couple caveats for that. Um, first, you know, long-term care insurance must be a qualified long-term care insurance policy uh, to to do that. Um, most policies on the market today are tax qualified, but you have to check with the insurance provider to make sure that that's a, a qualified long-term care policy. Yeah, so that's that's one use of the HSA long-term care uh, premiums. The other one, you know, is pretty obvious. You can actually just pull it out. And use it for for medical costs. I mean, the average that we uh, the studies that we see is about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in retirement for medical costs. So if you have a pile of money there that you can pull out, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, the expenses are high in in retirement, and um, you know, you can use an IRA for that, or uh, you know, four hundred and one k or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> You're going to pay taxes on that. So if you can, you know, leave your HSA alone today. And uh, use this for future. Again, the the triple tax benefit on this um, is the best there is. And so, you know, we I actually I, I do the same thing. I, I try to um, cash flow my medical expenses and leave the HSA alone and kind of view it as a part of my retirement. It's not a, a right. fun piece of the retirement. You know, we think about golf and trips and everything like that when you get into retirement and doing things. But, um, you know, you're also going to have medical expenses. You're going to have medical, and it's going to be big. And I think to use it to cover long-term care costs, you have to start thinking about that early. You know, mm -hmm. this is not something you start at age 60 and say, oh, I'm just, rather than buying a long-term care policy, I'm just going to put that money in the HSA plan and and be able to fund it. Um, you know, you have to start, you know, decade early or so, so that you can build up enough. Yep. And, you know, but it is possible if you put $7,000 a year in there and you let it build up over 15 years, um, you're going to have a lot of money in there. And long-term care policies today, they don't cover, 
you know, a half million dollars anyway. Usually they're only, uh, you know, a, a, maybe a couple hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars of benefit. Right. You could build that up in an HSA plan and have that money available to cover long-term care costs. That's kind of the point here. And um, I think it's a great, a great idea. So <clears throat> something to consider, um, a, a unique and a very creative way to cover your long-term care costs. Yes. Okay, good topic. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, the question is, is our target date funds uh, a good choice? So, you know, there's these, uh, you know, Vanguard and and Schwab and Fidelity have, they have a number in them, 2040, 2020, whatever the, the, the target date is. And it tries to match your retirement date up with that particular allocation. And so, what I'll say is just in, in general, it's a reasonable allocation. I mean, we see some 401ks that give you 50 mutual funds to choose from, right? And right. that's overwhelming. And so yep. for most people, a target date fund is a reasonable option. Um, there are certainly probably some better allocations that you could put it into. But if you have no clue what you're doing, Steve, I think it's a reasonable way to put money into sure. it because it's diversified. It's going to have some stocks mm. and bonds, large and small, U.S. and international. Mm. So it's an okay allocation. Yeah, I think it's a great place to start. I think for a young person, you know, that, <clears throat> you know, when you're just starting out and it, it, it makes a lot of sense, just put it in a, you know, a, 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 a 2060, you know, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> you know, target date retirement fund. That's going to be mostly stocks. And it'll give you a reasonable allocation. That one drawback, I think, to target date funds is they tend to be too conservative. Yeah, in my they, opinion. There's not a lot of small stocks in there. I mean, if you go into a 2060 fund, they right. may have eight to ten percent in small, and it'll still have ten percent in fixed income. That's right. It's you're gonna right. have like ten percent in, yeah. in bonds, yeah. which does you nothing if right. you're 20 years old. That's right. So. Yeah, and even when you get to be near retirement, I think it's too conservative. It'll have like 80% fixed income. I will say it's better Mm -hmm. than putting everything into like one mutual fund. Right. Yes, or yes. keeping it in cash. So it, it does. Yes. It's a it's an OK allocation, but there's certainly different ways of doing it. Yeah, you could do a little better than that down the road. But I think starting out, it's a great choice. Just, you know, and that's usually what the default is, is a good target date plan. So I think it's an improvement having those in there. Yeah. But, I do too. you know, just be aware uh, it's probably going to be a little bit on the conservative side. So. All right. Good question of the week. And that leads up to our next topic here. And that is the four Medicare changes that you should know about. Um, This is a very recent article out of Yahoo Money. Um, And, uh, you know, John, I mean, Medicare is one of those topics which is usually not too exciting to talk about, (laughs) but it's incredibly important to seniors. And it's also fairly complicated. So for for that reason, we're going to talk a little bit about these upcoming changes um, that go into effect this coming year. Um, but we're also just going to go over some basics here because, I mean, for those who don't know much about Medicare, um, it's a very important program. It's the government-run medical plan for people that are age 65 and older, older, and it covers just about everyone who has ever paid into the system. Um, for, first of all, though, there's parts A, B, C, and D. And before we jump into the changes for the coming year, Let's quickly kind of review how Medicare works. Um, Everyone who signs up for Medicare at age 65 is automatically on Part A. Part A is the hospital coverage, which is free if you've ever paid into Medicare, you know, over your working career. Um, In general, Part A is, is good coverage for the first 60 days of hospital stays per year. Um, And it only has a deductible of $1,364 
per stay. So um, it's pretty good coverage. Uh, you know, almost nobody stays in a hospital over 60 days in a year unless mm-hmm. you have some. Yeah, that's you know, and come out alive, I'll say. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so of course, you know, that would be very rare. So in general, Part A is, is really good coverage for hospital stays. Yeah, and Part B is optional, mm-hmm. uh, but it does cover doctor charges. and has a monthly premium of about $135. For most retirees, um, up to about $170,000 of uh, income, and that comes out of your Social Security benefit on a monthly basis. However, you know the premium could be as high as $460 a month if you're a very high-income earner. And uh, sometimes we see clients get trapped into this higher premium for a uh, year if they you know sell a house or they have some other kind of high income event um, you know after they turn age sixty five and you know there is a small one hundred and eighty five dollar deductible for Part B each year so once that uh, small deductible is met the Part B covers eighty percent of the approved physician charges leaving you with about a twenty percent co insurance obligation so again it's optional but yeah. uh, most people take that yeah you definitely are going to want to take part b if you take part a and and you're you're covered under the traditional uh, medicare uh plan um of course that 20 percent co-insurance on part b really adds up and that is you know if you have some major health problems um since there's not a maximum out-of-pocket limit on part b so that's usually the impetus for retirees to get a medicare supplement policy is to avoid the potential major hole that hole in Medicare mm-hmm. on Part B, you know, having to pay that 20% up to $100,000 or whatever it possibly could be if you had cancer or something major. Um, so that's part. It's A and B. Those are the traditional parts. Part C <clears throat> is actually a, a substitute for parts A and B, and that is the private Medicare Advantage plans, which work like traditional health insurance uh, coverage and they take the place of parts A, B, and D, which is which is the uh, prescription drug part, um, <clears throat> as well as a Medicare supplement policy. So part C is Medicare Advantage takes takes place of all of that that other stuff, um, and it covers some additional things like you know vision care, health, hearing aids, um, routine dental care, prescription drug coverage, fitness care uh, center membership can be all covered under part. Uh, see Medicare Advantage as well. So if you enroll in a Medicare Advantage plan, you're going to continue to pay the Part B premium uh, that you pay. And then in addition, you're going to have a premium on top of that for the Medicare Advantage plan, which can be as low as zero or it can be up to, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month, you know, potentially. Um, Medicare Advantage plans have a network of doctors like traditional health insurance plan which is more limited than traditional Medicare. Um, however, your cost sharing should be less than Medi- under Medicare Advantage because it also limits your out-of-pocket expenses. Um, so once you've spent that maximum amount, uh, you pay nothing, while the original Medicare doesn't have an out-of-pocket maximum amount. Um, so your expensive, your, your potential expenses under traditional Medicare are limitless. Yeah. And in Part D, most people are familiar with this. It's pres- uh, prescription drug coverage uh, offered by a private insurance companies uh, contracted under Medicare. 
and the costs vary from mm-hmm. around $10 a month to $100 per month. And to pick one of these plans and see if there's a benefit for you, you got to go to uh, medicare.gov and enter your specific drugs into the search engines and see what uh, you know the plan premiums are and see if it's going to be beneficial for specifically what you uh, what you're taking. So Part D is the prescription drug piece. Yeah, and so the reason why we're talking about Medicare today is because open enrollment started last week for Medicare. Um, it runs from October 15th through December the 7th. So you can sign up for Medicare for the first time, um, or you can change to a Medicare Advantage plan, or you can change your prescription drug coverage under Part D. All of that is available this week. But there are four major changes to Medicare from last year. So um, even veteran you know, enrollees, they'll want, they'll, want, they'll want to pay attention to the, some of these changes that have come about yeah. here in the coming year. Yeah, the first one is um, the browsing tool for Medicare has has changed. It's been upgraded. Apparently, it's long overdue. Um, you know, the, the layout has more blank space, um, so a little bit easier to see and follow along. And uh, has a new sort and filter tool on the page as well. And, um, you know, there, there are some drawbacks. Um, you know, there's a medical, a Medicare ID requirement and so forth. But uh, basically a new, you know, uh, redesigned website should be a little bit easier to use than in the past. Yeah, so that's going to help. Also, though, they're closing the donut hole um, some, okay? Some of the Part D prescription drug coverage plans, uh, they come with coverage gaps known as the donut hole. And so after you meet your deductible, you and your plan kind of split the cost for coverage up to a certain amount above that deductible. Um, In 2020, that's like $4,020. So after that, you have to pay more for some of those prescription drugs, which is kind of weird. I mean, it covers more at the beginning than it covers less. Um, And you have that donut hole in the middle. Uh, The percentage you pay during that coverage gap or that donut hole has been declining over the last few years after the passage of the Affordable Care Act in 2010. So in 2019, you had to pay about 25% of the sticker price for those brand name drugs, 37% for the generic drugs, um, and so that gap is going to go down. You're going to pay no more than 25% for both brand and generic drugs in 2020 and uh, until you reach your out-of-pocket limit, which is $6,350. Yeah, another change here is um, the, the uh, drug coverage. Medi- Medicare Part D um, uh, comes with a list of prescription drugs, both generic and brand name. And, um, you know, in 2020, Part D plans are able to choose which specific disease or symptom uh, a covered drug can be used for. So that means if one drug can be prescribed for multiple illnesses, your Part D plan may only approve coverage for only one of those uses. But if the plan covers a drug for only one use when there's multiple uses, um, the plan may include another similar type drug associated with it. So they're making some changes on the drug coverage. Yeah, simply means you need to check your on your Medicare.gov website to make sure you're still in the best plan for your specific medications and illnesses um, this year because there have been some changes there. And then last change here is um, there are a couple Medigap plans. The Medicare supplement policies are going away, and that's policy C and F, and the high deductible F that won't be available um, for newly enrolled Medicare employees. Uh, four years ago, Congress passed some legislation discontinuing those two plans. Um, they're not completely eliminated. They're just being phased out. Um, so uh, these two supplemental insurance policies cover deductibles for Medicare Part B 
and uh, outpatient and preventive care services. Um, and also CNF also allowed seniors to access non-emergency medical care without with no out-of-pocket costs. So anyway, all those are changing. The point is, you know, there have been some changes. You want to go on the Medicare.gov website uh, if you're on Medicare. And when you re-enroll and just look at your prescription drug coverage, look at your your uh, your um, uh, Medigap coverage, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, your supplement coverage, make sure you have the right plan for you because things have changed and, you know, there may be a better plan for you out there. Um, but, you know, very important changes. Medicare is always changes a little bit every year. So you want to pay attention to that because it's very important coverage for retirees. Absolutely. And we, I have two contacts. Um, folks ask, you know, who do I, you know, get supplement policies from? I know two people personally, uh, pretty well that, uh, sell, sell them and provide information in the area. So if you, if you need some help, you can certainly reach out to us and I'll, I'll share that with you. Absolutely. All right. Good deal. And that leads up to our last thing here, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, it has to do with the, the financial facts, Steve. You know, we talked about $1.2 trillion in auto loans. The uh, yep. average payment's 554 bucks. You know, if you if you buy a used car versus a brand new one, um, you know, you're going to save, uh, you know, at least half of that $554 that can be used for another priority. Emergency funds, paying off debt, Roth IRAs, whatever it is. Um, you know, if you can afford the large depreciation that occurs initially, good for you. But, um, you know, it's just, it's a wealth, um, uh, destroyer. It is. Cars yeah. are, they just are. I mean, they, 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 you know, depreciate in value. So it's not a wealth huge, building activity. Huge depreciation. So if you want to get on the path of paying cash for all your vehicles, never having a car loan, one key to doing that is buying used cars. Yes. You know, buying cars that are four or five years old already, um, good used car, but you know, that way you can put $500 a month toward your next car in your car fund. You can build it up. You'll have plenty of money there to replace your car in four or five years when your when your new used car is now an old used car and it's worn out and you want to replace yep. it with another good used car. Um, hard to do that with brand new cars nowadays. They're yeah. so expensive and mm-hmm. depreciation is so expensive. <clears throat> so save yourself a lot of money and, uh, buy a good used car you know, until you get to the point that you just have so much money that, you know, it's a luxury you can really afford to do with cash. Yeah, that's right. So good prescription of the week. 300th episode in the books. There we go. Hope it was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been this week's 300th edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. And do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net. Or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 